0: please turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, that's where we're going to start this morning, and we're going to work very quickly through three passages of scripture. Last Friday, Friday a week ago, our country uh, took what I believe was a further step away from uh, the presence of Holy God, the direction of Holy God, and regardless of how people responded around you, there were some who lamented that, that the end had come, there were others who were celebrating and, and basically, you know, I, I'm, I'm not on Facebook, I'm, I'm not out there much, um, I, I do have a Twitter account and I was watching people tweeting various things and, and I tweeted a couple of things in response to some stuff that people were saying and, and what I saw pretty much on, and I'm real hot, Randy, if you could, or Matt, This is going to, because I might get a little excited a minute. All right. Um, What I noticed were there were basically two responses, okay? There were people who were saying it's about time. And there were Christian, well-meaning believers who were saying it's about time. And they would put stuff out there, love wins. Let me tell you something, love didn't win. What won was perversion and a slap in the face of holy God, okay? There were others who responded with... A Christian sentiment and and uh, what they understand about a Christian sentiment, they said, "Well, you know what? It's not up for us to judge anybody." And and the honest truth is, they're partially right. And what I will tell you is, a half truth is harder to kill than a whole lie. Okay, and and I would agree that we are supposed to love everybody when we understand what the Word of God means when it says to love people. Okay, and and what we understand what Jesus really taught. When he spoke about not judging anybody and, and, and not, not, you know, get the, get the plank out of your own eye before you deal with the splinter in your brother's eye. What that really means, and we're going to look at that here in just a minute, but I, I want you to understand there are, some, there are some principles out there that we have to absolutely hold ourselves to. And the first one of those is Isaiah 55:8. God says, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. God is God. And and what God's opinion is about the issue of homosexuality and same sex marriage settles the issue. Okay? And and we have to understand that God's not us and we aren't God. That there there is a response that, that we have to have as we deal with this particular sin because it is it is in our faces today. Okay? And and I'm not singling it out as as you know the the only A sin so to speak, but I want you to understand this was this was not the final battle. This was the beginning of the final war. And like many of us have said from the beginning, as if this domino falls, which it did, the next step will be immediately to come after the evangelical church in America. And that is exactly what began to take place on Monday. They began to call for anyone who stands in their pulpit and preaches what I'm about to preach for that church to lose its tax-exempt status. That we have now put ourselves against the Constitution of the United States of America. Now, I want to challenge you with some truth, this truth. The Bible says we must obey God rather than Men, And, And so when that happens, we have to know what we believe and we have to know why we believe it. And across this worship center this morning, you and I are connected to this issue in different ways. And you and I need to understand that we are in this together. Regardless of whether this is an issue that has touched your family personally, whether it is somebody that you know or somebody that you work with or somebody that is your neighbor or somebody who is your friend, every single one of us is connected to this issue in a very real way. And so we better know what God says. Now, we have friends and family and relatives and cousins and and maybe sons and daughters who are caught up in this sin. But the problem is they don't see themselves as caught. And, And so Bi- the Bible has a way that we need to begin to deal with and pray for and help, and, and this morning we're going to look at three passages of Scripture. I'm going to try to do this in an efficient manner and, and be a good steward with your time. Every single one of these sermons could be a standalone alone sermon, okay? Every one of these passages could stand alone, so I'm going to try to give you three quick principles from these passages of Scripture, that will give us a guide for how we deal with this sin and any other sin that should present itself in our lives. If you have your Bibles open there to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you would please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the word of God. Beginning in verse 9, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, "Do you not know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived, No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, revilers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. May God have blessing upon the ring of his word. You may be seated this morning as we study this together. I pray that God will speak to your heart. First thing, first principle that we have to remember as the body of Christ, the New Testament church today, is that we are all a part of were. Okay? Now, I want you to understand what Paul says. Paul is writing this to the church at Corinth, a very promiscuous society, a society much like America is today. Okay, they were promiscuous, they were were engaged in any and everything that there was, and Paul begins to write, and what he says in verse 9 is, do not be deceived. Do you not know that the unjust will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he goes on in verse 11 and he describes who the unjust are by describing who the just are. And and, and what we understand in Paul's first instruction is he says, don't be deceived. That's a Greek phrase for meaning, don't wander, don't roam from the truth, understand God, Isaiah 55.8, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God is the only one who has a right to set this issue and to settle the issue for you and I as believers as we work and live in this country today. And what God says through the Apostle Paul, writing inspired scripture is the unjust, don't be deceived, don't wander, the Bible is true, don't walk away from the truth, The unjust will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes through and he puts a list out there. You can read the list, the things that he puts out there. Uh, Sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, those are two different uh, groups of people. Thieves, greedy people, drunkards, revilers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Six of the Ten Commandments are covered in this list, but what you need to understand is what he is saying is those people who make this the standard practice of their life, There is no repentance. There is no remorse. This is the standard practice of their life. Every single day they get up and it is their goal in life to live this way. And what the word of God says is they are unjust. They are not justified. Verse 11, he says, these are the people who are justified. Those of you you, you who've been washed, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you've been sanctified, set apart for the purpose of Christ, you've been justified, seen as Christ in heaven. And notice the big part, verse 11, such As some of you were. Guys, we're all a part of were. We all have something somewhere in our past, some sin that qualifies us to be a part of were. But notice what happened. These people had left their sinful practices. Okay, they had walked away from it. They had called it sin, knew it was sin. God's spirit had convicted them of sin and they had walked away from sin. You and I, if you are here today, you have a relationship to Jesus Christ, it is a fact and a reality that you are part of work. You had something in your life that needed the grace of God to touch it, and God's grace and his forgiveness demonstrated through the cross of Jesus Christ touched you and brought you out of that attitude or that place or that part in your life. You and I need to understand What is God's opinion about the issue of homosexuality and same-sex marriage? First of all, there are a lot of different opinions today. Some people say it's an inborn trait, okay? It is a genetic trait just like the color of your skin, the color of your hair, the color of your eyes. It is inborn, and it is to be accepted because of that fact. Do you realize today that has never been proven? all the studies that people would love to cite, all the studies they'd love to hold up, it has never been proven that people are born with a genetic propensity towards homosexuality. Never been proven. Hey, let me let you in on a little secret. I am born with a genetic propensity towards alcoholism. I come from a father who was an alcoholic. I come from a grandfather, his father, who was an alcoholic. I have a genetic predisposition towards alcoholism. But you know what? It is not right for me to be a drunkard. I have a genetic predisposition towards heterosexuality. Okay? I was born a a flaming heterosexual. Okay? All right? But that does not give me a right to indulge myself in any selfish pleasure outside of the context of the God-given marriage that God blessed me with and put me with and enables me to live. You and I need to understand the truth of the counsel of the Word of God, especially when it comes to this issue. Now, hear me. There are others who want to say that this is just an alternative lifestyle, like our court said just a few weeks ago, that it is to be permitted. The Bible says this issue is a sin. Now, it's not a sin to be feared, and it is not a sin that can't be forgiven. It is a sin just like any other sin for which Jesus Christ went to the cross and shed his blood that those who want to repent and be changed can be made new in Christ. That's it. And that's what we've got to begin to do. Now hear me. The church has got to begin to do a better job Because what the church has got to become is it's got to become a haven for people who are hurt and who are trapped in sin. If there is somebody today who is struggling with any sin, but particularly with the sin of homosexuality, they need to be allowed to come and allow God through the Holy Spirit to use the word of God as absolute truth and to convict them of their lifestyle, lead them to a place of repentance, show them how God loves them and give them a place to, to, to be safe and to be secure as God changes them and brings them out of a lifestyle of sin. And that's the case whether it's homosexuality or adultery or alcoholism or drugs. It doesn't matter what it is, but that is a reality that the church has got to become a haven, a hospital for people who are hurting and not a place where they are condemned and destroyed because they are sin or in sin because the reality is every single one of us is a part of Word. It's got to become a place where people who genuinely want to ask questions about their sexuality can come. And we don't judge them or condemn them, but we stand beside them and we hold up the word of God as absolute truth and let God work in their lives. That's what we've got to do. You and I have been called to call sin, sin. Now, one of the ways where I was brainwashed, is because I have, like many others, apologized. I'm not apologizing for preaching on this issue anymore. I'm not going to apologize if I offend you anymore. Okay, I'm just not. And, and I have been guilty of saying, this sin is no different than any other sin. Hear me, it is different. God himself, through Moses in Leviticus 20.13, calls this sin an abomination. And he doesn't do that with all the sins. This is the sin for which God destroyed the, ten, the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. It is a different sin. It is not a sin to be feared. It is not a sin that can't be forgiven but it is a sin that you and I need to call sin. And if you have a friend or a companion, uh, uh, somebody who is a brother or a sister, somebody who works with you, somebody who is an acquaintance, if you have somebody who says, I am a Christian, but I am living this lifestyle, I would challenge you today, based upon what the Word of God says, that anybody who says they can continue to live this lifestyle without remorse and without repentance, not seeking the forgiveness of God, I would challenge them to see whether or not they truly believe in the Jesus Christ who is revealed in Scripture. We're a part of war. We have to remember that as we walk with people who want to get out of sin. Number two, we have to stop the progression turn back towards the front of the Bible into the book of Romans. Romans chapter one. I'll give you a moment to get there. Romans chapter one, verse 24. Remember, you're a part of word Number two, stop the progression. Verse 24, therefore... God delivered them over to the cravings of their heart, to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served something created instead of the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is why God delivered them over to the degrading passions for even their females, exchanged natural sexual intercourse for what is unnatural. The males in the same way also left natural sexual intercourse with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty for their perversion. And because they did not think it worthwhile to have God in their knowledge, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, dispute, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know full well God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they do not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Paul wrote the letter of Romans while he was in Corinth. He wrote Corinthians to a promiscuous society. While he was in the promiscuous society, he wrote the book of Romans. And three times, verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28, three different times Paul says, God gave them over. The first time, God gave them over to their passions, okay, their desires. They had desires that were outside the will of God. God's word convicted them. They continued to press forward in those desires, and God finally went, okay, hands off. You get what you want. It progressed from their passions to where God, the Bible says, God gave them over in their actual moral relationships, they continued to pursue the passions that had become the driving force in their life to the point that God finally said, okay, hands off. You get what you want. And as they pursue those immoral relationships physically in their bodies, doing things that were not natural and doing things that were wrong, verse 28 says, the Bible says, the word of God says, God gave them over to a depraved mind to the point that they could no longer discern the difference between what is right And what is wrong? God said, you want to pursue it? Okay. Hands off. You get what you want. I believe last Friday, Friday a week ago, that the God of the ages said to America, okay. Hands off. You get what you want. You and I have got to stop the progression in our minds that this sin, along with any other sin, is right. They had so progressed to the point that they could no longer even reason. They had progressed away from a knowledge of God. And when you and I fail to recognize God as absolute, we will soon fail to recognize Him as God at all. I told you earlier, you've been brainwashed. Let me show you how. When people begin to lose God as the authority and God as the absolute and God as the the decision maker of life, this is what begins to happen to them. First of all, relative, I don't know, statistical morality begins to be the decision making process in their life. Statistical morality morality means that you begin to listen to opinion polls, talk shows, people who logically, soundly, calmly begin to reason. And all of a sudden, that becomes the basis because everybody else says it's okay, it must be okay. Number two, emotional reality. What feels right is good and what feels wrong is bad. That is a reasoning that is selfish and rejects any part of personal sacrifice. The word of God calls for you and I to sacrifice ourselves and our desires and our wants to what God wants and to what God says is holy. But emotional morality says, no, if it feels good, it's okay. We progress from emotional morality to the third thing, which is situational morality, which is you figure it out as you go along. There is no predetermined right or wrong. It's just uh, no standard in place. As you get into the situation, you begin to determine what is right and what is wrong based upon that particular situation, which leads to the fourth, which is called sensitive morality. And sensitive morality says this, I don't want to hurt your feelings. And because I don't want to hurt your feelings, then it's a live and let live. What's good for you is good for you, and what's good for me is good for me. I'm not going to interfere, and I'm not going to contradict. I'm just going to go along with my life, and you live your life, and I'll live my life, and we won't worry about what happens. And when that happens, not even God bear dare intervene or contradict my life. Does it sound like the America we live in today? 1990, they wrote a book and began to execute that book. And I told the early service, I was really glad that I wrote my sermon on Monday. Okay, I wrote my sermon on Monday. I gave Matt a copy of it to read. I gave Laurie a copy of it to read. So you have evidential proof that I wrote my sermon on Monday, okay? Because when you come Wednesday night and you listen to Vody Balkum's sermon, you're going to think I stole all this stuff from him. I didn't. It's just evidence that the word of God is true and it, no matter who's pre- preaching it, truth is truth no matter what. And in 1990, they wrote a book and they executed a plan and this is a plan that they wanted to execute. It was that they would begin to uh, send out propaganda to change cultural norms and acceptance of homosexuality. Now, they don't want hate the sin, love the sinner. Okay, they they don't want that. They want you and I to affirm that their lifestyle is normal. And so they began propaganda. One of the things that they wanted to do was to bombard us through TV, movies, ads. Start paying attention to the commercials on TV. See how many of them have a homosexual couple in them. Start paying attention to the movies. And see, the movies were particularly one of the things they wanted to do because what they wanted to do was to get people, they want every movie has to have a homosexual character. And usually he is the best dressed or she is the best dressed. They are the most articulate. They are the smartest. They make everybody else around them look stupid. I didn't believe it. I'm... Uh, we go to Laurie's doctor appointment Tuesday. We're driving home. I put the sermon. Somebody else had sent me this sermon from Bodie Balcom. I put it on. I'm listening to it. Driving home on Tuesday in traffic. I'm listening and I'm thinking, wow, that's just so true. I get home Tuesday afternoon. I sit down and assume my normal position in front of the TV and take out the clicker. And I turn on the TV and I'm flicking through channels. And I come to a movie that's about NASCAR racing. Okay, God grits and Americana, NASCAR, right? How many of you ever saw the movie Talladega Nights, Ricky Bobby? Okay. I'm watching a movie. I watched it before. I watched it with my kids. I've, I've laughed at this movie. And I turn it on and I realize the number one character in the movie besides Will Ferrell's character is a homosexual Frenchman who is more sophisticated. He appears smarter. He beats Ricky Bobby in everything that he does and makes him look like a fool. I didn't laugh. I turned it off. My daughter was raised, my sons were raised in the public education system. I love my daughter to death. She is one of the few Christian attorneys that I know. Okay? Bill Dow, PJ, Brad, there's some others, okay? But, but most of those are connected to our church that live their faith as attorneys. This is an issue that Kara and I have battled over and basically she has had the attitude, I love my daughter. She lives her faith. She is bold in her faith but on this issue it's been dad, that's their business. Dad, I'm not supposed to battle. Dad, I don't need to engage. I sent her a link to the video. So do me a favor. Watch this. She said, hey, I think I'll do that at lunch on Wednesday. I said, good, why don't you do that at lunch on Wednesday? Wednesday afternoon, she called me. She said, dad, I'm sorry. I've been brainwashed. We have got to stop the progression in our minds. We've got to draw the line and say, this is where we have gone, but we are not going there anymore. We are gonna center ourselves on God and he is the source, his word is the guide and we are gonna hold ourselves to that no matter how difficult that, that could be, no matter how harsh that may seem. God's word is God's word, period. God gave him over to a depraved mind. we've got some friends and family, people that are in this issue that they can't even reason correctly anymore. So how do we help them? Pray. Jesus told the disciples when they came off the mountain and said, why couldn't we cast this demon out? We've done it before. Why not here? Jesus said, because this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And what he was saying is, you've been so concerned with the world. Who is gonna be in authority? Who is gonna be in charge? You've been worried about all that stuff that you didn't pray and you didn't fast. Folks, I believe in the God of the ages. I believe that the God of the ages is powerful enough. I believe that God can change minds and change hearts. But what you and I have got to be willing to do It's to get on our face and to begin to pray and to fast and ask God to give depraved minds new minds and new thoughts in the heart of God in everything that we're doing. It's okay, you can clap. God can, but this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting and when we do that, the third part of this is, I hold the line, turn very quickly to the Gospel of John, the eighth chapter. John chapter eight, verse 10, 11. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, "Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you?" No one, Lord," she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. See, there was one in the crowd that could condemn. His name was Jesus. He chose at that moment to deal in grace and to deal graciously, and that is how you and I must deal with those who are caught in this sin. If I remember I'm a part of were. Grace is gonna be how I deal with people who are caught in this sin. But notice the last part of that. Jesus was very clear. He was very distinct. He held the line. Now go and sin no more. We've got to begin to call sin, sin. And we've got to begin to hold the line and say, you've got to get out of that. You've got to stop that. I don't care if it's alcoholism or, or adultery or, or fornication. I don't care. But particularly in this sin, we've got to call it sin and say it's time for you to get out. And I love you enough and I care about you enough to to help you walk out of that. And our church loves you enough and loves the word of God enough to stand beside you as God begins to change your heart. Hold the line. Those people that say, Well, we're not supposed to judge, and they take what Jesus Christ said out of context. Notice that's a half truth. Jesus didn't say, Don't deal with it. Jesus said, First, take care of the sin in your own life. Get the plank out of your own eye. And the moment you get the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to help your brother. We're supposed to deal with sin, folks. And the way I deal with sin is I get on the face, my face before Holy God on my knees, and I say, God, forgive me. If there's known sin in my life or unconfessed sin in my life, show me. And I repent. I walk away from that. And I begin to live as the practice of my life to the best of my ability, holy and set apart before God. I don't make it the practice of my life to live in sin. But I love people too much to leave them in their sin and not call for repentance and remorse and restoration in their life. Deal in grace and deal graciously. Welcome the discussion. But understand, this is not a debate. We are not debating the rightness or the wrongness. God settled the debate. He calls it sin. Discuss, yes. Listen, yes. Give grace, yes. But this is not a debate. When this happened, had a lot of pastor friends, God, what are we Christians, my Lord, this is all coming apart. And then there were other Christians, it's like, no, man, you don't understand. America's too big to fail. America is God's eye, the apple of his eye. He's going to protect her, he's going to watch over her. God is this, and God is this, and America is this, and she's the new Israel. Baloney. Israel thought that. We're God's chosen, he'll never let us fall. 70 years in captivity. We've got this American-centric theology instead of a God-centered theology. God is God of the universe, and the church is the apple of his eye, not America. And the church needs to start being the church. But I'm not worried about it. In fact, I'm actually a little giddy. Now, I'm not looking for a fight. 10 years ago, Maybe. But what I do know is this, in the history of the church, she has done her best work from the margins of society. Not when she's been at ease, but when she's been under persecution and when she's been under threat, the church thrives. It is through the blood of saints that God renews the body of Christ. And God may call on me to start a new jail ministry. so be it I must obey God rather than men and that is what the word of God challenges us with every single day do not lose faith do not lose hope and in everything you do give hope to those who need it forgiveness is available If they will repent, anyone, any sin, if we will repent and we will confess the name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says we can be restored. Prayer is a must if we are going to maintain our witness in this society and our witness to a lost world that desperately needs to know Jesus Christ is Lord, prayer is a must. And we have got to begin to pray and to fast and to ask God, God, change minds. God, give me an opportunity to share your truth in those situations. Prayer is a must. The church has got to Repent. We've got to repent of taking the path of least resistance and calling that love. That's not love. That's emotion and that's easy and it's no more love than failing to discipline a child. And so, what I I have to repent of is God, I am sorry that I have taken the path of least resistance. I have got to quit excusing sin in my life and quit excusing sin of those caught in the grips of the life of sin. Call sin, sin, hold the line, understand grace. You're a part of word and stop the progression. This is not okay. But hear me. We win. We win. And he is Lord.